0: Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source.
1: Good morning. This is your host, Jay Levine, with another episode of Antitrust Law Sources Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jetta Sandin, one of our antitrust attorneys in the D.C. office of Porter Wright. Good morning, Jetta. Good morning, Jay. So, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about mergers and acquisitions today. Um, it seems like everybody is buying everybody today. And whether you're a buyer or a seller, you get a deal in the door, and now you got to figure out now what? What do I do? Uh, do I have to tell anybody about it? And the answer is sometimes. Sometimes, exactly. Um, so there's, there's a whole um, structure of antitrust analysis that goes along with mergers and acquisitions that we'll discuss in some future podcasts. But now we want to talk about something called the
0: pre merger notifications.
1: Uh, Pre-merger notification, that sounds like, you know, a tax form, and in some respects, it sort of is. To give you a little bit of history, the Clayton Act, which governs mergers and acquisitions, was enacted in the early, I think, 1900s, something like 1919, something like that. Um, And it basically states that any acquisition that could substantially lessen competition in any line of commerce is illegal, well, that's all well and good, but the problem is, once a merger or acquisition is accomplished, it is very hard for the Federal Antitrust Agencies or for anyone to, as they put, um, unscramble the eggs. I mean, once a entity is merged or acquired, um, you know, assets are divested. You know, employees are you know rearranged, uh, realigned, and it's frankly very hard to undo whatever competitive damage the authorities think has happened. So, in 1976, um, legislators got together and enacted what's called the uh, Hart Scott Rodino Antitrust Improvements Act of 1976. Because the federal government had noticed that there were just too many mergers and acquisitions, they were finding out after the fact, and that they could not obtain any real relief from the competitive aspects of those transactions. So, as we call it, the HSR, the Hart Scott Rodino Act, basically mandated federal notification of mergers and acquisitions if the merger or acquisition were of a certain size. Now, the two point to note is that you must notify two different authorities in the federal government
0: both the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission why both well because both actually have jurisdiction under the act to review your merger and acquisitions
1: yeah it's got a little bit odd i mean and and, and there have been calls from time to time to you know say let's let's house criminal and anti uh, antitrust and DOJ and mergers in the FTC or the like, but those have really gone nowhere. And there's concurrent jurisdiction; <clears throat> so you got to file with both, right? Correct. Now, who has to file? The buyer, seller, both. God, amazing, isn't it? Um, lots of paperwork. Lots of paperwork, sort of a full employment act for antitrust lawyers. But um, I guess we can't complain too much. Um, so, um, with that said, you got to file the the notification report with both the FTC and with DOJ. Um and then what?
0: And then you, you have to pay a filing fee. You got
1: to pay a filing fee, and then you have to wait until you know, sort of, the, the the authorities have spoken or have decided they're not going to speak. In in HSR terms, you have to let the waiting period expire. Now, how long is the waiting period?
0: Well, it depends, Jay. The general waiting period for most deals is 30 days. There are some situations involving bankruptcies and other short sales that it can be as short as 10 days. But parties also have the option to seek an early termination of the waiting period from both the Department of Justice and the FTC.
1: Right. So if you ask the, the authorities to, you know, please cut down that waiting period, and they have the option of saying yes or no, and generally... um. You know, if if it's a deal that doesn't have a lot of competitive implications, and they're not overly busy, you can you know often get it, but it's never assured, and you can't count on it. So if your financing is dependent on an early closing, get your heart Scott in early. Never bank on the authorities giving you early terminations. But as Jeddah said, otherwise it's a thirty day waiting period. If you do not hear from them and the clock strikes midnight on day 30 going into day 31 you are free to close your deal and um god bless however if you do hear from them and that they request further information you now know that your deal is being seriously investigated and that brings you into an entirely different process called the second request or uh, I, technically, what they issue is a request for additional information and documentary material. We'll go into second requests in a future podcast. But if you do get a second request, it will substantially delay your deal by, you know, several months at least. Um, it is a it is a big deal to respond to, uh, depending on the on the scope. But most most second requests are big deal. But let's get back to sort of the notification itself. So what deals have to be notified, Jenna?
0: Well, generally speaking, Jay, if your deal is worth under seventy-five point nine million currently, because the values change just about every year, um, you are probably in the clear. But if it's over seventy-five point nine million dollars, you better take a better look. Um, depending on how big your par- the parties are, you may or may not have to file. But seventy-five point nine million is kind of the magic number.
1: Right. And just for all of you wondering, what seventy-five point nine? Where'd you get that number? The statute says fifty million, but it's indexed. So every year, the um, FTC comes out with the new valuation, depending on um, you know how uh, how the uh, CPI. And the various indices um, have gone from the pri- from the previous year. So every year it goes up incrementally, and we're now at seventy five point nine. And I'm sure next year it'll be at seventy six point three or some some odd number like that. Okay, so if your deal is seventy five point nine,
0: well, and just one caveat, Jay the the number is an aggregate number. So say you're buying securities or voting shares of a, a company, and you already hold some. St- some voting shares of that company. You have to take into account both what you hold and what you're buying.
1: Whoa, whoa, wait, wait! I'm buying twenty million dollars of stock right now, but because I already owned sixty million, I'm going to have to file. Yes. Jeez, what a racket, huh? Okay. Um,
0: Speaking of rackets, Jay, you got to see these filing fees.
1: Oh, nice. Okay, how much are the filing fees?
0: Well, for starters, if your deal's seventy five point nine million currently, you're looking at a forty five thousand dollar filing fee. Okay. But if you get up to one hundred and fifty one point seven million, you're looking at one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. And for the bigger deals at seven hundred and fifty eight point six million, you owe the DOJ and FTC two hundred and eighty thousand dollars.
1: Nice. Now you don't owe them each two eighty.
0: No, you owe two eighty total for your filing.
1: Now, who actually owes this, the buyer or the seller?
0: Technically, it is the obligation of the buyer, but it's not uncommon that it's a negotiated term that the party split the deal.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Interesting. Wow. Um, Okay. As you can imagine, the DOJ and the FTC are somewhat self-funding agencies um, based on the um, filing fees. And the more the mergers and the higher the value of the mergers, the more they make money. Um, So you are, in fact, paying the salaries of the people that are going to investigate your deal. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, I know confidentiality is a big issue um, uh, for a lot of parties because, you know, frankly, they're submitting their financials, they're submitting a lot of competitive strategic analyses about the deal, um, and they're worried about confidentiality. Do they have to worry?
0: No. Everything you submit to both agencies is completely confidential.
1: Okay, and it's exempt from FOIA?
0: And it's exempt from FOIA.
1: Now, the, the one thing to know is if you request, you know, a lot of parties do not want even the fact of their deal out in the public. You know, it, it causes morale issues with employees. If it's public companies, it can, you know, there can be stop, stock implications and stuff like that. Um, so they're, they're a little bit worried. If you actually um, request early termination and it's granted...
0: Then it will be published in the Federal Register. Otherwise, there's no publication of your your deal or the filing.
1: Right. So it, it'll if you actually request early termination and it gets granted, it goes on the um, in the Re- Federal Register and up on the FTC website, I believe. Um, you know, it's up for you guys to decide. You know, <laughs> whether those those areas are monitored by others that you care about. But the fact that the deal could get out um, via that way. Okay, now I gotta ask you, does the no, who actually administers sort of the rules of, of the Hart Scott Redino DOJ or FTC or both?
0: FTC is primarily responsible for the rules of the Hart Scott Redino.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, there's a very helpful group uh, in the FTC called the Pre-Merger Notification Office. You know, catchy name, huh? Um, p for short, and they administer the rules and regulations for that. If you have a question, you could always call them. Or, hey, you could always call Experience Heart Scott Counsel, like, yeah, it, yours truly. Um, <laughs> but uh, getting back to um, the topic of our podcast, um, what happens if you don't file or you mess up your filing or what?
0: Well, it depends. It, it, it can go many ways. The FTC and the DOJ could just give you a little slap on the wrist and say, "Don't do it again." But if you've screwed up before, or they find that you were, so, you know, negligent, you're looking at up to $16,000 a day fine.
1: That is a lot of money, isn't it?
0: Much more money than hiring counsel, Jay. Ha
1: <laughs> ha! Touche! Touche! Um. Yeah. You know, if you messed up the filing, and um, you know it's your first time, they'll give you a slap on the wrist. They'll say, you know, you got to make sure you 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 clear your deals with experienced counsel. But if you're a recidivist or you're sort of recklessly negligent and you've done this before, um, you're gonna you're gonna cut a check. Now, just curious, how big I are mean, you? How big of checks are these?
0: Well, recently Berkshire Hathaway did a, oops. Second time in one year, so DOJ went after them, and they paid $896,000.
1: I think that was the full fine, wasn't it? Was it was
0: the full maximum $16,000 a day per day that they were late in their
1: filings. So. Ouch. Now now you said this was the second time they 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 messed up this year. What didn't they pay earlier this year as well?
0: No, actually. Oh. The FTC and, and DOJ decided to because because they admitted their their fault and mm-hmm. said we're so so sorry and we promise that we will not do it again. They said, the government said, oh, okay, we'll let you go this time, but don't do it again. Okay. And then just about six months later, they did it again.
1: Right. Um, I think that was an aggregation issue where they had stock and they bought more stock they and they forgot to. They did. They
0: yeah. had already owned shares of a, a company and they had converted some bonds that they held into more voting shares and it pushed them up over the threshold level.
1: Wow. Okay. By the way, a lot of these rules are very particular. They're very detailed. And just by looking at them, they're not necessarily intuitive. Um, so you, you really do, if you're going to buy any assets or voting securities, of some significance, um, you know, do think whether you're going to get near the threshold or whether there's any way that they could be valued near the threshold, and discuss the matter with uh, with Scott Council. Um, it's well worth an hour or so of, of their time to make sure that you don't get into a situation where you're on the federal government's radar screen, um, especially when you're costing them money by not filing. So, um, so those are sort of the very... 10,000 foot level particulars about the Hart Scott. Um, there's a lot more about Hart Scott we want to tell you, including sort of what information you got to file, um, you know, how you go about gathering that information. Um, but pretty much, I think we're out of time. Um, So we'll leave that for another podcast. That sound good?
0: Sounds good, Jay.
1: And um, we're going to wish a speedy recovery to Jetta, who is (laughs) right now among the walking wounded with a broken arm, but she has been assured that uh, it will heal before her upcoming nuptials. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. And um, hopefully uh, next time we speak, she will be out of her uh, cast and <laughs> out of her sling. Here's hoping. Um, uh, this is Jay Levine and Jetta Sandin saying have a great day and thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us at uh, antitrustlawsource.com. Again, that's antitrustlawsource.com. You can reach me at jlevine at jaylevineatporterite.com, the letter J-L-E-V-I-N-E, at com. You can reach Jetta at...
0: J. Sandin at PorterWright.com. That's J-S-A-N-D-I-N at
1: Um, You can always go to our PorterWright website, and you can also follow me at J. L. Levine, J-A-Y-L-L-E-V-I-N-E at Twitter or on LinkedIn, and we appreciate your listening. Have a great day. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP
0: offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.